This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. Open the Voice Gate for January 4th, 2022. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast feed or on our own dedicated podcast feed on all podcast platforms and applications. You can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. If you'd like to donate to the show, you just click the link in the show notes. It'll take us to our it'll take you to our red circle landing site. You just click our red box that says sponsor this podcast and set up a one-time or recurring donation. No obligation whatsoever, but we would like to thank all of our previous donors. I am one of your hosts. It's your old pal. I am Mike Spears. Join alongside my friend and co-host, Case Low. In case, of course, we have to talk about the biggest debut of the day. You know, I mean, it's January 4th as we're recording it. It is basically the first big wrestling day of the year. And what bigger debut happened today more so than Ho-Ho Loon and AEW Dark? I have so much wrestling that I want to talk about today that has nothing to do with Dragon Gate, one of which being Ho-Ho Loon at AEW. What a fun, dark match. I thought he fit in very well. I thought he sold very well for Sammy Guevara. Ho-Ho, hopefully next time he's in America, he gets into the commentary booth to be with Excalibur and Taz. Taz was critical during that match of Ho-Ho's lack of urgency. But I think as we've seen over the past few years, it's better when the match comes to Ho-Ho. He will find his pace as things go along. And he very much did in that Sammy Guevara match. Hey, if Tony Khan wants Ho-Ho to wrestle some urgency, here's the thing. You have to put things on the line. If there's no Clorox wipes or, you know, Mr. Clean, Magic Eraser, I mean, uh, we're, we're not dealing in a world that Sponge Guy has, you know, planted his flag in the United States yet, so no clean paw toilet-wise, but you got to put something at stake to, if you really want to get the fire out of Ho-Ho Loon. Uh, I, I thought that it was a really fun dark match. I The thing that I really kind of, kind of uh, took me aback is I think Sammy's GTH reverse uh, go-to-sleep kick usually looks awful, but Ho-Ho Loon has done the best sell of the GTH that I've seen so far in the company. So, I mean, good for Ho-Ho there. I thought that rocked in. You know, Taz was on one tonight, and it's just imagining how much fun Taz and Ho-Ho Loon could have in the commentary booth together, and we missed out on that today. Taz was on one tonight. Ho-Ho Loon was on one tonight. Let's talk about the other elephant in the room, a question that I've been dying to ask you for a little over 12 hours now. We haven't really talked much today, so I, I have you know, pontificated. I've done some in-depth internet research to try to figure out the answer to this question. I have come up with nothing. I am dying to know your thoughts on if Shima 
was in the Tokyo Dome when the Wrestle Kingdom 16 main event started. I, uh... <laughs> it's a good thing it's a big building that's a very very big building um because there are not... there are passionate el desperado fans out there he could have seen mm-hmm. Hiromu versus despy saw the three count rubbed his hands together said linda warm up the car we're out of here and that story would not surprise <laughs> me at all yeah yeah uh did get a funny dm to wake up to of course i did not watch Russell Kingdom. I mean, that's early, and I don't stay up late to watch shows anymore. I I did have a great DM saying at least they found a building large enough that could have Shingo and Shima in it at the same time without them killing each other. I mean, Dick Togo, say what you will. I mean, maybe he's the person that that could heal some divides. And, I don't, and now I don't with... think so. Have you read about Dick Togo in New Japan? I don't think he's healing anything. I think he's tearing this company apart from the inside. <laughs> I mean, if somehow, like, one of the most mysterious is mysterious, uh, just uh, severance of, like, a relationship in Dragon System history gets healed by Dick Togo, I don't care what's happening in New Japan. I have other things I'll say about New Japan later that'll get people really angry at me. Hi, this is the first show of 2022. In case knows, this is probably the one that I'm going to get yelled at the most. Is that right? Yeah, Mike Spears shooting from the hip tonight, apparently. I like it. You're coming in with a bit of an edge. I was not expecting it. I, uh, Much like I was not expecting Shiba to show up at the Tokyo Dome this morning. I was telling <laughs> no. Mike right before we started recording, I woke up and I saw the picture and the Voices of Wrestling Slack of Shima and Lindemann at the Dome, like the selfie they took. And I was just like, oh, cool. You know, let's have uh, more power to them. Uh, they got invited to the Tokyo Dome show. And then I was going about my morning. I was making my peanut butter and jelly that I eat every morning at about 3.55 Central Standard Time in the morning. Uh, that's how I start my days with a nice PBJ. And I, I respect that. I'm a big PB&J person, you know, especially for like a breakfast. It actually works pretty well if I'm not like being my lizard brain and just having like the same power bar I've had for 10 years. Sometimes I'll get PB&J and, you know, it works pretty well. It's the basic question to ask, but it is the question that must be asked. Mike Spears, and you're a weirdo, so you might have some like left field answer for me that I'm not anticipating. But what jelly are we using on the sandwich? Strawberry. Oh, this is why we do a podcast together, Mike Spears. That's what I like to hear. Of course, of course, you like strawberry jelly, as do I. Uh, so I'm preparing my daily peanut butter and jelly. I need this to hold me over until about 10 a.m. when I can eat again, and. All of a sudden, I go to Twitter and I see Shima dropping the knees, uh, a meteora like he's in his prime knee injury. Who dropping the meteora onto Takamichinoku? And I was so confused. I could not follow what was happening in the slightest. And now, by the time people are listening to this, he will have had his second match. But now I've got to wrap my head around Shima, Toriano, Minoru Suzuki, and Chase Owens in the same match, and I can't handle that. Yeah, that that that's uh, yeah. I I'm not gonna try to parse that other than Dick Togo, you know, trying to make, to, to trying to heal wounds. That that that's what I'm gonna say. Trying to heal wounds with that. I, I will say, and I have you. Did you watch any New Japan at all last year? Uh, do you want to know what was the last New Japan match I saw? Or, I, or first, I, take a guess. Take a guess. <laughs> this will be fun. <laughs> I, Shinsuke Nakamura versus Kota Ibushi in 2015. <laughs> Man, give me some fucking credit. <laughs> Second guess. And actually put some thought into it this time. Was it was it Omega versus Tanahashi? That last Omega New Japan match? No, it was Shingo versus Osprey best of the Super Juniors final. 
Oh, well, one of the best matches of all time. So you picked a good time to to get out on. That's uh, everything. Actually, statistically, everything went downhill after that match. So you made the right decision in jumping off at that point. So you haven't seen really any of the or you haven't seen actually any of the Shingo versus Okada matches. All of them have been great in their own way. And I loved the match this morning. It went 35 minutes. It felt like it went 15. and on you know a, a personal level as someone that started this podcast when Shingo was still in Dragon Gate and, and wished him well on his farewell and I thought he would succeed in New Japan as an IWGP junior heavyweight tag team champion maybe maybe he would get a run with the junior heavyweight title at one point but to see him become the heavyweight champion of this promotion despite the atrocities that might occur on the undercard and to see him headline a Tokyo Dome show even it was the dreadful atmosphere that it was. And I, I had to watch new Japan in a little bit. And I was so taken aback by obviously they're in, they're in this giant building and that doesn't help things with the clap crowds, but the lack of ringside participation, not having seconds out there to just bang on the apron and make some noise the way a Genki Horiguchi or Susumiya Kosuka would in this company was such a jarring thing to watch with all that in mind, seeing Shingo in the main event of a Tokyo dome show was a spectacle. It was really cool to see. And of course, just like he's done in every big match for the last 16 years, he delivered in the biggest spot. It was, it was a thrilling match. I went four and a half stars on it. Yeah. Uh, I, this might be a controversial take, but this is, I'm already going to have things later on in the show that people get mad at me at, if not already. Uh, there's only one person that I would say probably has persevered and won the COVID era and, and all the fallout that's happened with it. It's Shingo Takagi. I mean, like, and, and, and no, like, normal universe, he would have headlined a Tokyo Dome, especially considering how things were in 2019. Like, it just could not have happened. And now, I mean, that's one of his boyhood dreams is, is made of any of the Tokyo Dome. He did that. I mean, yeah, Brian Danielson is the wrestler of the year. Uh, I know the FSM 50 came out today. Brian Danielson, you know, doing great on that as well. Not my number one, not who I voted for in the SFM 50, but more power to the American dragon. I was a a Kenny Omega fan through and through. I really thought it was his year. Uh, You you know, I think I would be Omega's a, just like, I, I'm like the one person who remembers Omega versus Phoenix. And things that, and remember that match really, really fondly. That's, so. that's the thing. Omega's first three months when he was doing insane. The, it was Omega versus Phoenix, and then he had all of the Seidel stuff where he had the singles match with Matt Seidel. I think there was a six man. Um, yeah, with with Takeshita. Yes, yes, that's right. I forgot. Yes, that's right. Um, he was doing all the stuff with the Seidels. He had the the Lucha Brothers stuff in there, and it will never be remembered due to history. And it's a shame because everybody will think about the finish and rightfully so, because it was the biggest atrocity in AEW history, but the exploding barbed wire match before the failed explosion was on its way to being my match of the year. And had that actually paid off, that would be a top five match for me this year. That match was ridiculous up until of course the colossal failure. Yeah. But it, it it's just one of those things that like, I worry talking about Kenny Omega like, uh, and we haven't even talked about what, what we're really going to talk about on this show but whatever I'm here for it, it, it it's something where it, it, he even then like followed it up like I really like the uh, triple threat match at double or nothing but then again you have pack and I feel like everyone at this point 
knows my opinion about pack <laughs> so it, of course that's great so yeah it's just one of those things that like as someone who just i i have actually i'll tell you when last time i watched wwe it was when brian danielson returned like that was it for me there i was like i'm good there then so like cutting in for like that the last four months for me it could not put him at my number one there but i think kenny omega did enough over the year to really be my number one how did we get going on this tangent oh yeah shingo uh yeah no it just rocks and uh, shingo's at a point i think in his career that like uh and the uh, gwe 100 this year like i gave a very impassioned speech about who will, will always be my number one wrestler of all time who like it's gonna take something to completely unseat them and that's terry funk but number two is up for Shingo Takagi's taking. And I think this year, when we circle back around in a couple of years, and when I do go back and watch like his this run he's had in the over the year, over the year and as IWGP world heavyweight champion, number two is not out of reach for Shingo Takagi for me. No, I, I look, I've made a career in wrestling publications stealing Alan Forrell's talking points and making them my own. And I will do the same thing here where you know, Alan was the first person that I'm aware of to really even consider Shingo as a top 10 or top 15 guy. I know when the GWE project launched in 2016, I voted Shingo at 21, and that almost felt very salacious to me, given, again, we've talked about the the forum that that project was hosted on a lot on this show, Pro Wrestling Only, where they're having debates over whether or not Wolfie D is a top 100 guy or not, and arguing over the best Mid-South squash matches, and those all have their validity. But for me to barrel in there as a 17-year-old at the time and go, actually, the Shingo Takagi guy is much better than all of your bad 80s wrestlers was a very bold take. And it was one that, you know, within that bubble, I certainly had to argue and break down in the, the micro form of like, no, you don't understand. At the time, this being 2016, this guy's had 12 years of dominance. He debuted and he was good. And then he's only gotten better ever since. And that's a 12 year sample size. And now Six years removed from that, we're looking at a guy who's had over a 15-year career where most of those years, if you were to do a list like this, whether you're ranking the 10 or 25 or 50 best wrestlers in the world, from 2005 onwards, it's going to be really hard to find a year if you have any sort of global awareness of professional wrestling to not have Shingo in your top 25 or top 50 at the very worst. You know, I, to have him... Anywhere, if you were to, you know, to list your 100 greatest wrestlers of all time and try to be objective about it in any way, and you didn't have Shingo on the list, I would need some sort of explanation. And it's probably not going to be a very good one, but if you can defend your point, I'll let you be. But at this point, I, I am glad that this New Japan run has given him that universal praise that he so much deserved. And I am glad that the conversation surrounding Shingo is not just, wow, this guy is really good, but wow this guy is one of the best to ever do it. And he proved that in the Tokyo Dome today. I, I just looked as I was, as you were talking there, Shingo only has one more spot to go up for me. So, so it's him or Mochi are going to be finding out for number two in my books in 2026. And, you know, uh, Mochizuki, I have no doubt, will still be putting out bangers in four years. So, you know, that th that's a spirited contest. But let, let me ask you, while we're on the topic of Mochizuki, no, we're not going to yeah. get to our topic yet, Mike. Hold on. 
I had a perfect segue there, man. You were talking Hold about on. rookie debuts, and I was going to segue us into Hold your horses, Mike. We are not talking about Drangit yet. Did you watch <laughs> the January 1st Pro Wrestling Noah show? No, of course not. <laughs> you know, I... Did you know what I have watched so far this year, Case? What's that? Because I've got another question of a show. I'm wondering if you watched it or not yet, so go ahead. Just spoil that for me now. Tokyo Joshi Pro 22 last oh, night. That God, was the January 4th show I watched. I, I'm not... We're not talking about that on this show. I don't know what their business is. More power to them. I agree with the general consensus. Yes, Joshi was severely underrated in the SFM 50. We're working on that for next year. But this is not the Tokyo Joshi Pro Podcast. Go do that somewhere else. With all due respect, Mike, I want to talk about pro wrestling. Noah, I have the floor. And I am so annoyed and it's not at Sean Ross Sapp, but he didn't help things. Tweeting out the gif of Ultimo Dragon killing it on the Noah show in the flood of comments of like, oh, I didn't know this guy was still wrestling. I This guy, this guy's so good. It's like, yeah, no shit. And he does this in Drangate all the time. And I was just, I was so annoyed by that for some reason. I spent New Year's Eve alone in my apartment because there were 12,000 new COVID cases on December 30th. And I was like, yeah, you know what? I could invite friends over and I'm not going to. I'm going to watch Zero One and Pro Wrestling Noah instead. And Ultima was the highlight of, of that show, at least the undercard for him, because he was marvelous. But I wish more people would take heed of the fact that he always has really fun multi-man matches in Dragon Gate. Yeah, that's his bread and butter to be quite honest yeah no i saw and you know good for abima you know paying for separados it, it's nice to have conglomerate money you know being able to pay jose miguel for that yeah oh hell yeah that noah show you know i have my issues with the promotion to say the very least i mean the match that i loved so much on the undercard was that eight man of katoge harada ohara and ultimo against the nozawa team of nozawa yohei kotara suzuki and eta Unfortunately, that match was followed by Kazuyuki Fujita and Kendo Kashin versus Akuto Hadaka and Masakatsu motherfucking Funaki. And while I like the losing team, Hadaka and Funaki, a lot, going from Ultimo to Kendo Kashin and Fujita is why I struggle with pro wrestling, Noah. That is too jarring for me, going from an all-time favorite wrestler to two uh, least favorite wrestlers of all time. It was too much for me. I... Yeah, it, it's something that Noah and uh, we'll get this later. Noah's going to be in a real interesting place as things open up. Like I, I just saw that they they only did four hundred yesterday at Corkin. Did you know how much? How how much? So uh, I'm not going to hammer this down. Uh, Tokyo Joshi Pro did six ninety five. Damn! All right, good for Tokyo Joshi Pro. That's that's a nice little house. I I was. Uh, talking about on Twitter yesterday about how the January 2nd All Japan Corkin show that was headlined by T-Hawk and L. Lindemann, that did 720 fans. And the show on the 3rd that was headlined by their guys, Miyahara, Oshino, Suwama, and Aoyagi, only did 701. And that is coming off of some dreadful houses in the back half of 2021 with Suwama and Jake Lee headlining and only putting three or 400 fans at Corkin. Really makes you think. Well, it's it, well, let's talk about Gleet for a second. Did you watch the Year in Gleet show, Mike? That's actually on my list, to yes. be quite honest. It, but it, th- it, that is because I want to see the Mascara Contra Mascara match. It's the only thing I watched on that show. I heard Soma Watanabe lost on the undercard, and that pisses me off because it seems like Gleet is putting a lot of shine on Lindemann, which I think is great. I think long-term, Soma Watanabe needs to be the guy in that promotion, and 
I, I understand the idea of having him lose to veterans and having him build, uh, you know, him being built up through losses, but also you are glee, you're in desperate need of an identity and a star. And I think he could be that guy and he doesn't need to be losing right now, but the strong hearts versus bulk orchestra main event is essential viewing. It was phenomenal from start to finish. It was such a fun match because now that we've had three and a half years of separation between Shima and Dragon Gate, you know, the, the big Dragon Gate multi-mans, they, they exist and they've taken on a new style almost and seeing what was very clearly a Shima orchestration and this big, complicated, so many rules, so many moving parts, multi-man style of match. It was such a throwback to a different time in Japan and a specific time in Dragon Gate when Shima was pulling more strings because you see, I mean, I saw so many spots in this match that I hadn't seen since May of 2018 when Shima and T-Hawk and Lindemann left. Like these were things straight from Shima's greatest hits and his playbook and matches like this. And that is a system that works. That is the Bill Belichick system of pro wrestling. Whatever you think of Shima and Gleet, I don't know what to tell you. The fact is this guy lands on his feet time after time again. And Shima, T-Hawk and L. Lindemann remain the biggest draws in Japan that are free agents. I mean, I think they are bigger draws than anybody on the all Japan roster. They were absolutely a business mover. When they worked DDT, they were the only things that drew on wrestle one. I think if they went to Noah, they would have a positive impact on their business. It would be interesting to see what they can do. If we get a Lindemann versus Despy singles match at new Japan, like they have been an abject positive in a business sense everywhere they've gone and it's kind of my point. I know it's easy to dunk on them because it is a sad state of affairs to a, to a degree, but they continue to be successful, even if it doesn't, if it's not always the most aesthetically pleasing success there is. It's something that I guess I'll talk about it here. Uh, I think that there's going to be a lot of questions as more, of Japan venues are starting to open up. Of course, Corkin's going to open up in April to full capacity. Uh, and, and I think by then you, you will, we will see a big trickle-down effect there that a lot of these companies are going to need to have solid draws. And a lot of these companies, like just like looking at it, like Noah was down almost 1,000 or 1,000 people between their Budokan shows. One and uh, one in February of last year, and then today, and then the New Year show, like down a thousand, and it's going to get to a point that, like, with like you have Kijimuto there paying Muto big money to do that, and yeah, Abima very much in Cyberfight, very much like Noah's geared, you know, trying to get uh, eyeballs that from like a, a generation that doesn't necessarily use their service, but I mean you're going to have to like start drawing these houses and you're going to start needing these things. And you look at strong hearts, strong hearts eventually are going to need to find a home. Like, could it be new Japan? Probably not long-term given a lot of things. Uh, but Noah, Noah makes much sense to anything. And then they're going to start getting people that will like do this because uh, we saw like Nakajima Goshizaki drew a thousand less than Muto up top. Which Muto is horribly beating. depressing. I mean, that is just an awful yeah. thing to think about because those those guys are so much better and to me on a personal level so much more valuable than muto but the numbers speak for themselves right yeah and and, and i know that the easy answer is oh we don't evaluate numbers in covid 
this is a direct year-to-year thing. Like, during the same conditions, yes, you could evaluate this. You could choose not to, but I choose not to ignore things that have happened. Well, if so- anything, Co- I, I, we'll talk about it when we get to some of our match of the year stuff. I was re-watching a match from January in Cork and Hall and Drangate this past year, and it is startling how empty Corkin is with those restrictions that were in place. If anything, things have gotten better in Japan year to year, so you would you would hope, if that's your logic, that Nakajima and Shiozaki would have drawn better, but unfortunately, they did not. Now, it, I, I will be curious to talk to you after you watch this Gleet show, because that promotion made a little bit more sense to me after watching their year-end uh, a show here, in the sense that I don't know what money they're taking in. I, for all I know, T-Hawk and Lindemann and everybody else could be begging for money on street corners because Gleed is just not paying the bills. But something about this promotion just made a little bit more sense to me in their place in the ecosystem. After watching this show, you start to see some parts come together and some things come to fruition as, you know, kind of a big budget indie, which I know is an oxymoron, but that's just kind of what they are, just given what they draw. Which makes sense, given Ledette being behind it. Like, Ledette's previous ownership of, like, Noah and, like, promoting shows. It makes sense that they would be able to do this. My big question about that is what happens when you're, like, full capacity and you you can't just write off these things because they run an insane amount. Yes, their schedule has really picked up because it seemed like for a while they were just their shows would happen and then they would go away for a little bit. And now they are running a a pretty full schedule. And yeah, I'm dying to know when things open up, what kind of drawing power they have, because I really have no idea. I ultimately still think their home is AAA. And if things align in a way that makes it convenient for them to bounce to Mexico again, like they were going to do right before the world shut down, we will see those three in Mexico for an extended period of time. So to me, that's their out, and as far as I know, I, I wouldn't see any reason why that wouldn't be on the table. It's obvious that AAA is going to need draws when the world opens back up, and I think the Stronghearts uh, quartet, it's... if you want to throw in the young guy, could be that that draw. Yeah, I, I guess like my only way of pushing back is that foreigners usually don't draw on AAA. Like, that's true. That, that That's the thing, is that... Like we've seen, like the AEW participation, it hasn't been super great for them. And I mean, the fans just don't know. Like they had to have Conan come out with the young bucks, <laughs> so that so that they knew how to react to them. So like that's the question there. Like when I like look at Glee, and yeah, they're running Tokyo Dome City Hall, which was an incredibly expensive venue that no one ran before COVID. Like it, it remember like Russell One when it booted up, like they were the first show at Tokyo Dome City Hall, and then no one ran there. And, and they got 803 there, which is bigger than the capacity you can get at Corkin right now. So you would think like one-to-one that should be close to a Corkin sellout, but that's like their big show and they're at Corkin, and that would be a Corkin sellout. Yeah. And you look at the names on this roster, like, and here's the thing. I think they're paying pretty well given Shima's there and given other big well, names. They're giving that, Kaz Hayashi's there. And... That's my fear is you pay Shima, you pay Kaz Hayashi, you pay Minoru Suzuki to come in and do a guest appearance how much more money is left at that point? And that is my concern. Right. Yeah. No. And I mean, Shuji Shikawa. I mean, maybe Ugh. not like commanding the uh, the wallet being thrown at him, but I mean, Matsukatsu Fanaki, Minoru Tanaka, like, like these are names that I mean, take in some money. And, and, and I don't think that El Lindemann and T Hawk are getting the short shrift either. <laughs> so, you know, like those are the questions there. 
And it's one of those things that like, I find this topic like overall fascinating. And I think it's one of those things that when you like look at Japanese wrestling coming out of this, it's going to be every, I I would say mid-major to major promotion has a lot of questions coming into 2022 and Dragon Gate's none the different. Like Dragon Gate probably has in some ways, maybe the most perilous questions for the next 10 years of the promotion when you compare it to the conglomerate uh, funded promotions, you know? Well, so well do, you, do you think from a talent perspective, and I'll, I'll let you go on this because I know you want to talk about this at some point. There's no reason I'm holding off on it. Let's just rip the bandaid off now. What is your feeling of Dragon Gate's next five to 10 years compared to New Japan's and the futures that they have lined up as of now? All right, you just... Nice fat ball for the plate for me, case. I do what I can, Mike. What what a great co-host. I just have to say here, like, because you look at this, and we've talked about this case, right? The idea that, like, yes, Kness has announced his retirement. Masato Yoshino retired last year, and we've been kind of banging the drum that it's like, this is the transitional time. This is the transitional time. So that's why it's been so important that, like, Shun Skywalker had the year he did. Eita had the year he did, and... 2020 sb kento has been just breaking every expectation one can have of you of someone who's only who doesn't turn 22 until february and you look at that and dragon gate's laying down the groundwork now for what happens in 2027 because in 2027 like we, we made a comment about uh masaki mochizuki but you look at like the roster and you look at like it, it's not like that Everyone who is a Tormont generation it doesn't have a lot of miles on them. Like Ryo Saito, take over as GM. He doesn't wrestle as much anymore. Gigi Horiguchi, famously before COVID, basically scaled back to just TV shows. Now, some of that also could be personal life stuff. Ginky Horiguchi, famous girl dad. Hashtag you know girl I mean? dad, Ginky Horiguchi. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, they have to prepare for this because the fan base is so insular and is so dedicated to those Torimon fan Torimon wrestlers that they've seen now for now 23 years that you have to prepare them for the eventuality of, all right, these guys are eventually going to retire. Some of them might come around and we might have like a good time Dragon Rumble at a Kobe World 2027 where you get to see people, you know, come out of retirement for the night and that'll, that'll be nice and it'll be an air of good feelings there for that match but you have to have the the fan base accepting your stars your young stars because that's who you're going to have headlining these shows the the company will be on their backs by then and they've been laying the groundwork there and i think as you say compare contrast i have new japan and here's where i the first time people will yell at me i think new japan's talent development program is atrocious i think it's completely just rooted in the Showa era of all right, we we could have these people, you know, just eat pens and wrestle five minute matches against fifty year olds for three years, and then they go on excursion, they come back, and then we start pushing them. Look at like the uh, I'm just gonna like pull up the uh, the the card for from today case, please, and, and and we're gonna go through some of these names on the card. Uh, do you think Minoru Suzuki is going to be full-time in, in New Japan in 2027? He might not be full-time in New Japan in 2022. Uh, Hiroshi Tenzin. <laughs> no, no, sir. Satoshi Kojima. I hope so, but no. Toki Makabe. No. Yuji Nagata. I hope so, but no. And then moving away from the the Rambo, this will be a controversial one. Uh, Katsuyori Shibata, do you think he'll be full-time in five years? 
he might be full time, but I'm not convinced to any degree that he's a giant business mover. I I don't know. It's it when he got hurt, it seemed like he was on an upward trajectory and like maybe he could mm-hmm. make a difference. But it is a guy who has either never been placed in the top spot, meaning his his most recent run in New Japan or and it's not an apples to apples comparison, but was when he was placed on top, which was Big Mouth Loud, it was an abject failure. Right. Now, of course, uh, the industry is completely different. He was a completely different wrestler then than he was in 2013 to 2017. We, uh, other than a few G1 shows, never got to see him headline. But I need some sort of evidence that he is going to move tickets at a rate of an Okada or a Tanahashi or a Naito or even a Jay White. We will get to those names in a second. Tomohiro Ishii, do you think he will be a full-time top liner in five years? I'll say yes, just for the Mochizuki possibility of the fact that That's he will fair. not die. I mean, WAR guy makes sense, you know, yes. that there's a lot of... <laughs> it was in the water. A, yeah, yeah, he was in the water there. Yeah, yeah. All right. Here comes the big ones. I think Kazuchiko Okada will be a, a headliner in five years, but do you think he's going to be that, like, that he's going to be at this level in five years? I think... I'm going to say yes, with the caveat that if he is still their 1A in five years, I think that is cause for concern. You're starting to see where I'm going with this. Tetsuya Naito in five years. Where do you think he will be at? I don't know, selling a lot of t-shirts somewhere. I mean, he has no knees. I I don't know at this point what his body can take. If he's able to go. If he's active, he will be at the top of the card five years from now, but I don't know if his body will allow him to do so. And along the same lines, I have the same question about Hiromu Takashi. Yeah, this is, I I mean, I'm so out on Hiromu at this point, and it's not his fault. He's just, he's not the same wrestler that he was, and it's a victim of expectations where, Yes, it's probably unfair of me to compare 2017 Hiromu to 2022 Hiromu, but it is so clear given the wear and tear that he's put himself through that he's not the same wrestler. At his current state, he's an above average junior, but he was in 2017, 2018, one of the best wrestlers in the world. And he was not someone that I, I don't think anybody in the SFM 50 voted for. Or maybe they did. Let me double check that real quick because perhaps I'm I'm way off. No, well, uh, Hiroma was an honorable mention uh, this year and, mm-hmm. you know, more power to him, but, you know, like I talked about in the spring of this year, when I, I started talking about Jason Lee being the best junior in Japan, I said, I think he's better than Despy. I think he's better than Robbie Eagles. I think he's better than any of the quote-unquote junior heavyweights on the Dragon Gate roster. My only asterisk there is, is he better than Hiromu? And at the time, Hiromu was injured. Well, from what I've seen of Hiromu since he returned, I think Jason Lee is a far better wrestler. That's fair. That's fair. All right, here comes the big ones. Do you think Hiroshi Tanahashi will be at that level in five years? I lean no, but it's Tanahashi, so anything's possible. So I just listed natives, and I did that for a reason, Case, because if anything in New Japan's recent history has taught us and given like rumbling and stuff like this, I don't think there is a reasonable expectation to believe that your Ospreys will be there in five years. I don't think it's a reasonable expectation to think that Jay White will be there next year. I, I think that you you list all these names and they're not going to be around there. And then you take a look at their dojo system. How is the dojo system prepare themselves for the eventuality of that? Like, yeah, 
Okada will be around there, but Okada, if Okada is still on top in five years and you don't have someone that's like beating Okada and putting his stamp down saying, this is my era we're in now, that's it. Like, the, this New Japan era, that case, you very uh, appropriately and with like Nostradamus, like a uh, clarity called being over in 2020, in five years, it could be a real big problem for them. And seeing how, like, how the promotion just kind of seems to be, and, and this is, a, I'm laying my cards out here. I fully believe that Dragon Gate does not make this transition that it seems like they're making right now. There will not be a Dragon Gate going past uh, the retirement of the Torimon generation. Uh, just to be clear, I, I'm just trying to make sure that no one can say, oh, Mike's saying is biased. No, I, 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 am, I, I think Dragon Gate's in the most tenuous situation of all, but New Japan does not set up their, rook, their, their talent system, their young lions for stuff. Like, you, you like look at this, like Narita coming back still as a young boy, basically. Uh, you, you, you had how long was it that it felt like that show and Yo were away on excursion? Hiromu away on excursion, taking all those bumps, like the amazing Dragon Lee feud. Like, don't get me wrong, one of the best feuds of the last decade. I think that's without any argument whatsoever. But those are some miles that are being put on his body that we've seen got added up a whole lot. And I, and I think it's a reasonable uh, argument to be made that those Dragon Lee matches probably, you know, took some some months off his career in a way and you you enter the the system there and you compare contrast it with someone like sp Sp kento who they immediately recognize who he was they're like all right we think this kid there's certain things he still needs to figure out he could figure it out as he's being pushed upwards and ending the year in a way where like i keep on saying this case we have to recalibrate our expectations for kento kabune and you, they don't have the possibility to do that because they're so tied into this, I don't want to say ancient, but like their historical way of thinking and talent development that is going to have them enter a phase where I don't think that's, that it's going, they're going to be in a good place in five years. I want, to, I want to make a few different points off that. First of all, let me take a victory lap. I want a handwritten apology from any person that doubted me when the 2020 Voices of Wrestling New Japan ebook came out, and I said that the golden era of this promotion was dead, because guess what? There was no ebook this year. You fucking morons. Of course I was right about that. That was the easiest thing I ever wrote, was how bad New Japan was. And I know there's a lot of people that still think that, hey, once we can return to some normalcy in Japan, that New Japan's problems are going to fix itself. And I wholeheartedly disagree with that statement. But let me defend New Japan for a second. Because, Mike, if we were doing this podcast in January of 2012, 10 years ago, and you and I came on here to preview Blood Warriors versus Junction 3, the finale, and what is Shima going to do now that he has the Open the Dreamgate Championship, and we had the same conversation, none of us would have been able to see that on February 12th, 2012, Okada would have beat Tanahashi for the title and went on the now decade-long run that he's gone on. New Japan still has Yua Uemura. And for all we know, they could, have, they could have had a young lion enter the dojo yesterday that could change wrestling. But like you said, it's tough for me to criticize the New Japan talent development because it is their 50th anniversary and they have survived tragedy after tragedy after tragedy after business failure after business failure after business failure. And they're still here and they're still number one. It seems like in a way just to, to make that comparison of Dragon Gate 
to New Japan, where New Japan has become the high school varsity athlete. They are number one and for good reason. And they've built up this really impressive pedigree. But if you ask them for a five-year plan, they're going to struggle to come up with answers. I don't know what their next step is, let alone their next five steps. Drangate is, you know, again, not the flashiest promotion right now. We've seen that with Western interest, with all of these new faces, all of these new names coming in, even guys like SB Kento. You know, it's going to take time, whether I agree with it or not. It is going to take time for English-speaking fans to latch onto these guys in a casual way. The same did they the same way they eventually did with your Yamatos and your BB Hulks and your Shingos and your Tozawas. But if you look at the Drangate five-year plan, there was clear and obvious direction, not only with their guys under 25, which they have an entire fleet of, but their guys under 30, which they have an entire fleet of. I trust their future from a creative perspective and a talent development perspective far more than I trust New Japan's, even if business-wise. Five years from now, I expect New Japan and Drangate to be in the same positions they are now, one and two in Japan. Yeah, I mean, that, that that's also the advantage of having conglomerates behind you. <laughs> like, I'm not trying to like sound like an angry Dragon Gate fan about why people don't pay attention to this promotion. I completely understand why, probably more so than most, but it's just one of those things that you take a step back and you like you look at like the talent development there. And I think you really hit on it about like under 30. Uh so someone that people are really high on and historically have been very high on in New Japan is Yo. Do you know how old Yo is? He's like 33, isn't he? Dead on, 33. And I, at one point, had a ton of Yo stock and also had a ton of show stock, and I could not get rid of that fast enough now. I Those guys 32. are not it. Show, I, show I, is 32. I really thought those guys were going to be it with Yo as a sort of junior ace and show as someone that could legitimately make heavyweight challenges in the future, and I just don't see that happening now. So it's just one of those things that, like, you look look at that, you look at how I mentioned Noah now. I mean, you've paid all this for Muto, and you've seen how the houses have dropped. You you got Muto to bring in viewers. Now you need Muto to sell tickets. We're going to need to see that. Stardom? Stardom's done great. Well, like, I, I'm going to call it a sandwich to this. Stardom has done great under Bushi Road ownership. They also have been a very solid beneficiary of what it means when the Bushi Road money machine goes burr in a lot of ways. Case, you've talked about how poorly they've done outside of when they've tried to go into new eras or areas like Tohoku, like Sendai. It's something, it's about time to see like if the money machine is actually taking, if that makes sense. Like it feels like it has a lot of momentum. They do a lot of smart things, especially for how they market and it falls greatly in line with what Bushi wrote's primary business is. But it's time to see Stardom does that. And it's time for Stardom, like Stardom's like talent acquisition is a lot like New Japan's in a way that like Stardom hasn't had a de- someone debut since 2019, I think. It's insane. And you have to kind of see them be able to do that. I think that if anyone has the opportunity to really boom out of a COVID saying, I said compliment sandwich, it will be Stardom. Because Sardom just like it just makes sense in a lot of different ways, but you guys see if the money machine's taking all Japan. How mean should I be, Case? <laughs> you, 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 you know what I'm about to say. You look, know what I really want to say, but you know what? This is the one thing I'm gonna hold my time on. All Japan exists because I have the triple crown title and Kento Miyahara. 
and T Hawk and T Hawk and L Lindemann. I mean, are they sticking around now that they that that Lindemann seems to be next in line for Despy? They did just drop their titles. Well, <laughs> but those Sato twins, right? Those Sato hey, twins. I, you know, Jake Lee. I hope you heal up soon, and we'll see if you can draw when you come back from injury. It was, uh, you know, so like you have that DDT is like a like a watch in my opinion. They're going to be fine. Like DDT oh, will no, just DDT. We'll, we'll have the same conversation five years from now, and it will still be a in Tokyo. They do a bang up job. They are probably number two in Tokyo. Let me know anywhere else in the country how they do. Yeah, no. It, so that that's it for that. I think I'd like one other like thing that we were talking about about this that I wanted to touch on before we move on and actually get to the Dragon Gate portion of the show. <laughs> All right, New Japan Dragon Gate. Yeah, yeah, the interesting thing with Dragon Gate again, like the uh, crossover with like the new generation, but it's also going to be the local expansion. You know, like that's a very un- underserved market. It's of course not as prosperous as Tokyo area. I mean, Tokyo, I I don't know right now, but they're either one or number two in like the largest metropolitan areas in the world. Like it makes sense why all these companies are Tokyo based, but going to the places where it's underserved, like Tohoku, like getting. S- the show that they got in Nagoya to close out the year. Like that will be a very interesting thing to go forward. And yeah, the, the, those are like my big things of, all right, that that's it. That's Mike's uh, everyone get mad at him section of the show. I think, uh, was there anything else you wanted to cover about this or you wanted to ask me before we move on? Well, yes, I have one final question because, you know, Drangate is not the only promotion that is looking to expand to all parts of Japan because on January 3rd of this year, Kyushu Pro ran in Tokyo for the first time. Shinjuku Face, they drew a no vacancy house of 242 fans. It looked packed on camera. The show was up on YouTube with a Mentai Kid in Sugi versus Taro Nohashi and Kagatora Torimon X reunion match that was billed as such. I am so bummed out, Mike, that this show did not happen in 2015. Because here's what would have happened if this show would have happened in 2015. Somebody would have watched it, and because it aired this week of all weeks, some Euro, someone from Finland or wherever the fuck, would have taken it upon themselves to become the Kyushu Pro guy on Twitter. And they would have made their avatar, Mentai Kid, and while Shingo and Okada were killing it in the dome this morning, they would have gone like, yeah, this is fine, but Mentai Kid could work circles around these guys, and I'm so bummed that Japanese wrestling interest is just so low right now that we don't have somebody to take that, uh, dare I say, gimmick for Twitter purposes, because that is absolutely a guy that would have existed four or five years ago, but hey, Kyushu Pro, 242 fans in Tokyo, that is a great thing to say. Yeah, that uh, Kyushu is one of those like micro-indies, the fact that they're able to do that and who knows what that means, if this is like a one-time thing, or if they'll be like, hey, maybe we can come by once a year, like how Michinoku Pro has their traditional like cork and batshit insane show. It, it'll be nice to see, especially from like, a, as we've been talking about, underserved area, like Fukuoka area, you know, and like they've got a lot of talent in that promotion. So that's really cool to see them kind of take off there. And then, I mean, you even have like promotions popping up, like Zeus's Osaka Pro, where it seems like he's gotten a whole lot of the gang back together that'll be fascinating to see how they do and if they decide to try to make uh, Tokyo excursions after they're built up in a way. 
the Torimon X reunion match was fun. I would recommend it if you have not seen it. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club Slab Pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you, you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying oh, hey look at some random cards or whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, you know, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off again that's arena club.com slash vow net arena club.com slash vow net for 10 percent off your first purchase on arena club and we thank them for sponsoring the voices of wrestling podcast network oh yeah for sure for sure uh i guess then okay so it's probably about time to actually talk about what we were planning on talking about on this show so this is I, I this typically would be a buffet, but this is our award show. We do have two matches to talk about before getting into the awards. As we knew they were going to pop up on the network during this time case, we got the house shows of SB Kento's Brave Gate title defenses first in Gifu against Problem Dragon, and then the uh, big match like the Mike Spears Produce Dream match, uh, UT versus SBK in their hometown in Nagoya that popped up there. And just like... To just 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 to get it out there, SB Kento should be considered like one of, if not like the most promising stars in wrestling under the age of twenty five at this point. And if you're someone who's listened to the show since he's debuted, you you've been on it with us. But it is actually like almost a crime now how good SB Kento is right now. I I mean I don't even know who else is in the conversation. It's like him and Hook because I I really do think with the way Dante. Hook- 
Yeah, but Dante's not a star like this. I, he has to go through uh, the comparisons. Obvious. He has to go through a ricochet like transformation. I think Dante should absolutely be a part of AEW's plans going forward as a big deal, but he's not a star like this. I guess MJF is the other one. I don't know how old he is. He might fall into that 25 and under category still. He, um, I think he's 24. So yes, he would. Yes. So, oh, well, then MJ- he's, he, yes, it, it is MJF and SB Kento and then a tear down hook. And those, I, he's on that level. It's the only way I can describe it. And I, two years ago, came on December of 2019 after his debut match and i said that's the guy that's the next yamato and i knew i was going to be right i did not imagine i was going to be as right as i was it and it's something just because i had to look this up uh mjf turned 25 in march so he is not classified here so it is again sb kento just yeah like i figure that just to just be on the right side here he he still is like 25 and under it's mjf here but it it's fascinating to see SB Kento grow and grow at such like a exponential rate because you take these matches and they're both up on the network. They're considered director's cut. They have full camera production, no commentary though. And you see him basically give uh Prom Dragon the most consequential and best match that Prom Dragon's had since his last Brave Gate match, I would say. You know, and, yeah, and, and then, in, the, in the history of Problem Dragon matches, it's this and the Maria match from 2016, and that's that's it. You know, we last year we did about a half hour on all of the great Punch Tamanaga matches. There are we just did that segment for Problem Dragon. Yeah, and it's not that he was a bad wrestler; he's just someone that got a lot of injuries, and they slotted him into a, a certain role because of those injuries, and that's just who he is now. And he had like an incredibly heated hometown match where the crowd was so behind him. Having Yamato and KZ, like, just to get a sense of, like, why we're saying, like, that's it for Problem Dragon, they were classmates of Problem Dragon, KZ and Yamato. So that gives you a sense of, like, this guy's station, really. And they just had, like, this match that really rocked, and it seems like everything about this match was built towards, okay, SB Kento, in a way, touring champion, coming to the guy's hometown, and then in front of his local fans, putting up the Valiant fight, but it's not enough. SB Kento is much better than him. The young kid puts him away at the SB shooter. And I thought that for what it was, it was remarkable. Yeah, this is a really fun match. It it fits the billing of a hometown defense because Problem Dragon plays the role perfectly of a, a Weasley underdog, not Weasley in the sense of him looking to cheat or get ahead, but that sort of weakling just he's clearly not on SB Kento's level and he's never really presented as such, but he does have the power of the hometown crowd behind him. And in a almost poetic sense that carries him to make this a nearly even match at some point, he gets a few really big near falls on SB Kento down the stretch. And it's exactly what you would hope for this. It is a really fun match that wouldn't have been out of place in Kobe or Kyoto or Fukuoka or any one of these smaller venues that Dragon Gate runs. Yeah, and, and that's like the nice thing that I'm glad that they are willing to now, when they have like these big hometown shows, like we don't need to see the rest of the card. But being able to see like Problem Dragon get this Brave Gate defense in front of his hometown. Also, Shun Skywalker's hometown, his first hometown show since his excursion which is wild. Just like a nice thing to kind of see there. And I thought that was kind of remarkable. And then 
this Nagoya Brave Gate match case, uh, we didn't talk too much about it. Uh, what were your thoughts of it? It was marvelous. It was everything you would want it to be. UT looked like a fighting champion, even in defeat. SB Kento, again, looked like a world beater two years into his career. I believe this was to the date, or maybe just a few days shy of his actual in-ring debut, that tag match with Yamato and Doi and Kamei that happened in in this building, I believe, certainly in Nagoya in their hometown. You would have no idea that SB Kento was only two years into his career. You would have no idea that in a realistic sense, given all of the injuries and all of the strife and all of the struggle that UT has had, that he is only three or four years into what I would label his legitimate career, post-millennials, post-whatever uh, that middle part of the 2010s were. It's really not until the end of Tribe Vanguard into the Dragon Gate generation, into natural vibes, that he became the wrestler that he is today, which by proxy is one of the best wrestlers in the world. And this was a chance where these two guys, almost in, a, in like a basketball game, where the two best players got on the court, they said, clear out, we're going one-on-one -on -one here, and we got to see that battle, and it was just a marvelous thing to say. And I think that, like, we, we've had our little checklist, right, Case, of, like, what we need to see SB Kento do, and he's been, like, checking off that list, and we've been reassessing our expectations of the guy, and he decided to have, like, this match, which, for one, came off like a total star coming out in his hometown, tossing snacks to the crowd, the crowd doing SBK collapse with it. A lot, did you notice all the SBK signs in the crowd, by the way? The little, like, SBK placards? Yes, no, he... I, I, it's crazy to think that really we've only had three months of him in his career that has been in front of normal crowds. And it was hard to say at that point whether or not he was gaining steam in any way with those audiences. But he is perhaps the, the most clear-cut example of someone who has had this two-year run in COVID-setting crowds and is so clearly over. Like, he wasn't a star going into COVID, but he is going to be a star coming out. Yeah, it, it, it's going to be so much fun. And then he has this match that he plays right into UT's playbook. And he's like, all right, you're the mini maestro. You do, you're Yaveo, you're going to do your, your style. I'm going to fight through your style and I'm going to win. And it just was phenomenal. It just was like things like UT, like breaking out, like that crazy double arm bar where he also had like his legs grapevine in a way, just doing like wild stuff. And then like the finishing stretch, like this was as hot of a Dragon Gate finishing stretch as we've seen in recent months. You know, I mean, you had UT going for the Bien Yave after like uh, trying, after SB Kento going for like the Spine Buster and trying to go for the SB Shooter. He goes for the Bien Yave. Uh, he pretty much rolls through, locks in the SB Shooter. And I, I, while I'm throwing roses at it, other than Daniel Garcia, does anyone like, and I think that this camera work at this hometown show really illustrated this to me, Case. But does anyone have a sharpshooter that looks as painful and does like the little things to be like, all right, this is this guy's finisher. That's it. It's over. No, this guy stands at like 5'5", five, five, and he has the meanest spine buster in the game and somehow the best sharpshooter as well. It's just amazing stuff. I want four and a quarter stars here. Like this one, when we get into awards, when we get the match of the year list, it would not make a match in the year list, sadly. 
but it almost did. <laughs> it, it could have like if it, it if it had maybe full production if they had like a if there were a couple like quick edits there if it was uncut i could have gone four and a half stars on this but also you tease my favorite wrestler in the company so that's my bias again put on the table there i love this match Oh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have begrudged you at all had you made this a number ten vanity pick. As we get into our match of the year stuff in just a second, a final note I have on this: if you look at the, we'll start with the Gifu match, uh, him and Problem Dragon here. That show drew three hundred and eighty-three fans to it. Now, Mike made mention earlier this was also the first time that Skywalker had wrestled in his hometown since before he went on excursion. They ran there in 2020. He was obviously not in the country at that point. And then they ran in April of this year and Skywalker had to pull out because of close COVID contact. Uh, the show they ran in April drew 231 fans. The show in December headlined by SB Kento and Problem Dragon, 383. And then if you look at Nagoya and we talked about this and how this crowd in particular in this building seems to rise every single time they run it now in august it was sb kento versus kagatora to start this brave gate run 585 fans and here with the two hometown guys in the main event sb kento and ut 713 it's just insane it's insane and they don't go back to nagoya until I think it's not until March. Yeah, they don't go back into Nagoya into the Congress Center until March. Yeah, they're so. running. They actually they're running a. I believe it's a smaller venue in Nagoya City in January, but that venue they will not visit for uh, the, the venue they ran in December. They will not visit for quite some time. Yeah, so it's going to be fascinating. And Nagoya used to be a taping town, and maybe you know, I mean, they readjust these things, and maybe a couple times the year they will bring back Nagoya as a taping town. I I would love to see full nagoya shows i would love like as they start this like nagoya is not a small city like to be fair this isn't like sendai and tohoku which is a smaller region and it's just underserved nagoya is a major city in japan but it'd be nice to see this game back into the infinity and taping rotation i could not agree more and you alluded to it and i think it's probably about time to get into it uh Let's talk about our awards case. Uh, we did this. We've done these last few years. We we kind of change in and out of some uh, categories each time. But it, it after 2021, I felt like at least for me, this was a harder award selection than it was last year. Certain categories, yes, because last year, like I've said many times on the show, I think last year was a hallmark year for the promotion, even in the face of COVID. This year had its ups and downs, but the highs were quite high. Yeah, so we have, let me see here, we have uh, 10 categories that actually worked out quite well here. Uh, match of the year, we have MVP, Rookie of the Year, Stock Up, Stock Down, Best Unit, Most Improved, Best Show, Best Smaller Show, and then 2022 Predictions. Uh, what, what do you want to lead off with here? Let us let us start with with a uh, match of the year. Let us work down this list. That might not make the most sense, but that's the way it's laid out in my notes, and so that's what we're gonna do. All right. So in this category, we have a top ten, and uh, all the other ones, we have a top two here. Uh, should bottom up? Should we go ten to one here? Oh, ten to one. And I've got an honorable mention. Do you have one? I don't. Just I. I would have if I didn't delete my ones when i was working with this no so <laughs> so give your honorable mention king shimizu and susumi yokosuka versus kaito ishida and kazuma sakamoto from july 31st that was kobe world pro wrestling festival the open the twin gate match 
uh, th- 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 that's going to be an interesting thing as we get to like talking about this and when we talk about show of the year really because i feel like this year really peaked at that weekend and that was like a match that was like four and a quarter for me so it was just off my list i guess i'll I'll start with my number 10 this is my vanity pick it is from speedstar final august 1st it is the masato yoshino retirement match where he teamed with his uh just his partner I think that that's just that that's all needs to be said. It was Doi Yoshi versus Ata and BB Hulk. I went four and a half stars on this one. Yeah, you were higher on this uh, as an in-ring match than I was. Obviously, the stakes surrounding it, the pageantry involved, it was a spectacle that if for some reason you're not listening, if you're for some reason you're listening to this and you have not seen it, you need to go out of your way to see it. It does not make my list. Yeah, it, it was something that I thought that it was. Masato Yoshino really, you know, putting it every last bit of him into this here. And it was something that I thought was special. He had a beautiful final match. And I really liked the uh, synchronicity of having the other major member of World One with them. You know, the the last three members of the big three or the big six still in the promotion that were available because Yamato, of course, won the Dreamgate right before that. And I thought it was really special like the closest thing i would say is just that it was just really really kind of special like him doing like an orihara moonsault in this match was one of those moments that i'm going to remember for like the rest of my time being a wrestling fan so probably the rest of my life <laughs> yeah very well put there i i have no complaints about that a special moment and that was one where i reviewed kobe world on the 31st you reviewed speed star final and i cannot compliment your work on that written review enough well, thank you, buddy. Thank you. I, I had a pitch hit there, you know. Sometimes I come in off the bench to help you out there, and I'm glad that you like that. Uh, what was your number 10? You know, I was going to come on this podcast and defend the Dragon Gate Network for a minute, which is the bravest stance you can take in all of professional wrestling media, because all I hear is how hard the service is to use and how the shows go away too quickly and this and that and this and that, and I started thinking about it, and... I was like, you know, it's not ideal. You know, I would love for these shows to just, I don't know, stay on the network. But they do give you seven days to watch them. And I sometimes feel like people act like they have to watch them live or the day of before they go away. And they do give you a decent amount of time to watch these shows. And then this afternoon, I went back to rewatch some of these matches for fun. And I went to the date that this show happened. And I was reminded that for some reason, while the Cork and Hall shows and the Kobe Sambo Hall shows will eventually reappear on the Drangate Network, the Hokkaido shows and the Kyoto shows do not. And that is when I re- was reminded that I absolutely hate the Drangate Network because my number 10 match of the year is Jason Lee versus KZ from the May 21st Hokkaido King of Gate show. I adore this match and I'm annoyed that I had to go to other sources on the internet to rewatch it. Yeah, it, it's something where I oh, I have some King of Gate matches in here, but this was really, like, we were really high on Jason early on in the year, but the performance he really, like, when it was televised that he had in King of Gate really kind of was the evidence that we needed for what we were saying about him. It just was something that with him I thought it was really remarkable there. It, it did not rate with me. I'm right now talking as I'm filling to go through. I have both my notebooks up here, Case. Okay? So I have my early 20th. 20- 21 notebook and then also my late notebook but 
let's see what I have for this one here as I'm filling for the time. I apologize. This is terrible audio. May 21st, Jason Lee KZ. Yeah, I had it four and a quarter. So I totally uh, get where you're going for with this. I, I should have said that all of mine are five, four and a half stars or better. And I'll say when we switch to four and three quarters. So yes. yeah, no, I just, yes. I, I, you're justified with that. I have no, I have no beef there. Yeah, same here with me, four and a half or above, uh, and I will note when we leave the four and a half star territory. But for me, this is my style of wrestling, fast paced, junior heavyweight action, lots of grappling, lots of striking, lots of huge near falls towards the end. Some of the flash pins and flash pin counters these guys were doing were out of this world. A phenomenal match between two of the best wrestlers in the world. Absolutely. Um, moving up my list, uh, it's another Jason match. Who would have thought? Uh, this one's early on in the year. This is from their first Cork and Hall show of the year. This was the Twin Gate match with Hulk and Kai defending against Jason Lee and Kota Minora. And this was something that, like, I'm sad that they kind of deviated away from Minoli as like a top tier tag team. But I thought that this was like really awesome stuff with like. Jason was basically selling the entire thing. He was taken out very early, and it was just another great performance of Kodaman and Nora, uh, just trying to like fight back until like the 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 closing stretch where it was a final flash in the FTX that I thought was really really sick. This was your number nine, correct? Yes. This was my number nine as well, Mike. This is one of my personal favorite matches of the year. It will not make my overall top ten, but I knew I had to make a place for it in my Drangate top ten. When I wrote the review for this at VoicesOfWrestling.com, this is when I really started to take into consideration the three years that Jason Lee had had in Drangate prior to this, the steps that he had made to better himself and where he stood in the pecking order of junior heavyweights as a whole. It was this match and his selling here that made me look at this guy and think, I don't, I don't know if there's anybody better at what he does than him right now. As an individual performance, Jason Lee's uh, outing here is one of the best I saw in all of wrestling this year. He just really had a phenomenal time. Like it was just one of those things you kind of took a step back and you're like, wow, this guy is really on this other level that we've been talking about. I have the wrong date for this one case. So you might have to correct me here. This was one. I think what I, I had it down as May 14th, which was the King of Gate opening day with during, closed doors at lapis hall but it was it had it been after that because he there he had matches there but this was yamato and kz during king of gate Ooh, yamato and kz during king of gate that for some reason doesn't even ring a bell to me but i will do what i can to figure out when that occurred mike what did you like about this match it was just something that we got to see this uh that this run of Yamato that started really with like King of Gate, where we got to see his more Pancrase based style going up against KZ, who during this tournament, and something that I would have brought up when you we were talking about the Jason Lee match it against KZ, he was breaking out Yave during this in a way that like it's kind of weird to think that KZ did have a Mexican excursion, just none of it ever made tape, and we don't know if he actually wrestled a whole lot there. And I thought that that was really, really a whole lot of fun in this uh, tournament. I am not seeing a listing for KZ versus Yamato in King of Gates. I have this match down. I have it listed as Yamato versus KZ 514 release. When did this match happen? Okay. I'm going to look this up, Case, while you're looking. Well, now, you... I, now I'm fascinated because there was that really good. I, I thought maybe you meant a, Yamato versus Akuda at first because they had that really fun match. 
uh, in Fukuoka. <sighs> was that it? And I just was my eyes glazed over. This is terrible audio. I apologize. <laughs> ah, gosh, oh, I think you oh. meant Yamato versus Akuda. Because yeah, I know I you raved about that because that was an excellent match that just missed my cut. And yeah, I know you really it. liked it as well. Yeah. Yeah, that was it. I apologize. I was I was looking and flipping through my pages and I had the wrong one there. Oh, no. I had the wrong name now there. It was Shun Skywalker versus Yamato from opening day. That was from the empty arena. And I will I will let you know my thoughts on that match because uh, it's one of the better matches I watched in Dragon Gate this year. But I chose not to include it in my top 10 because it happened in an empty arena setting and I did not want to think about it. Yeah, so let's just delete those last two minutes of audio. I'm not going to cut this out here, but, but we're just going to act like it didn't happen. Yeah, what I loved about this match, as I have the notes right here, uh, I liked the, the MMA Yamato and him using Shun's body as a jungle gym. And like there was like this really ugly-looking avalanche backdrop out of the Dojima Sleeper that was really sick. And in, in a way, this was setting the stage for the match they would have at Speedstar Final. And it was something that I thought was really kind of remarkable for me to be for me to give four and a half stars to an empty arena match, you know, the, the, that's a level of sickness right there. But I thought this match was really kind of special and it was really showing the chemistry between these two guys that we would see later on in the summer. We will get to the Shun Skywalker portion of my list shortly, but my number eight features two guys we've talked about already. King Shimizu and Susumi Yokosuka versus Hao and Kano from 11-3, the Gate of Destiny this year. That was such a fun match. I think I was just slightly under. Yeah, I was four and a quarter on this match. So what well, well, what made it up to four and a half stars for you? It was the best use of both Shimizu and Susumu that I think there is. Susumu had a chance to trade strikes with these guys. Uh, very much trained strikers, guys that throw bombs in this Noah pairing. And they are much, much smaller than Shimizu. And he was able to throw them around. And it is here... After we were so delightfully surprised by the Shimizu and Susumu team at Kobe World and Speedstar Final, where it looked like, oh, this team is really something. I hope they have a prosperous run. This was their peak. This was them at the height of their powers against the perfect opponents in a really fun Dragon Gate versus Noah match. And I hope as we get into the new year that we see more of those pairings because I really like the results that we had from them. Yeah, it, it was something that like this was such like a weird and bizarre way like setting this up like kenzo suzuki like slapping the crap out ginky horiguchi at every kind of thing and it's like all right this could be something really cool and it ended up being incredible in a way playing off like common lineage you know we talk about the uh Lutras tree in a way but this is like a different branch from like the michinoku pro guys and i thought that that was really solid as well i completely agree so my number seven uh, where we are now, we started my Shun Skywalker segment. We're gonna get even more deeper in here. This is from, uh, this is from Champion Gate. This is the uh, Dreamgate match: Shun Skywalker versus Kota Minenora. And I thought that this was a major match for Kaido Ishida's career. Like really, like putting him. He was in his hometown, but so it helped out that as well. But I thought it was something that getting to see uh shun just really have to work through the knee issues in a way that that was really kind of effective there was the blaster on the apron that was really really super sick and it it was something that it was like the step forward that was like okay kaido ishida is a main event player and i thought he had it in him and of course like 
him and Okuda became the storyline, at least singles wise, of 2020. But seeing him do it with it with a contemporary kind of and Shun Skywalker, especially Shun Skywalker on the Streamgate run, I thought that this was really kind of phenomenal. I'm going to hold off on my thoughts of Skywalker versus Ashida for later on in my list. That's fair. So what is your number seven? Yamato versus Coach Minora from Dangerous Gate of this year. For as much as I hated Yamato's Dreamgate run, and in particular, the build to this match, where leaving Speedstar final, the one thing we knew was that if Yamato won the belt, his natural first opponent should be Coach Minora. It just made sense in storyline. It was a very clear A to B progression. And instead, we ended up with a triple threat match between Kai, Benkei, and Masaki Mochizuki to decide Yamato's next challenger. And Kota Minora luckily forced himself into that match, won it, and then challenged Yamato here. This was a classic Dreamgate match. We've talked a lot about the youth movement and Dreamgate over the years. We've talked about the shifting house style and how this is not the promotion of Shima, Tozawa, and Shingo anymore. All of these guys have a new approach to wrestling, a new flavor, a new flair. Yamato versus Minora was a match that would have fit in in 2004 and 2014, and it fit in quite well as my number seven in 2021. Well, that's very fitting because that's my number six match, Case. Fantastic. That's what I like No, to hear, it's Mike. not. I'm really fucking this up tonight. <laughs> I apologize. My number six match was... Uh, this was four and a quarter. This was this would have been my honorable mention. This was my last cut. So this would have been my honorable mention. My number six is Kota Minora versus KZ at King of Gate. I apologize, listeners. I, uh, it, it, I, I, it's been a long one for me. <laughs> Mike is crumbling under the pressure of the match of the year countdown. I, I, I you am. threw you threw haymakers early on in this podcast just decimating new Japan's business plan, and you are gassed at this point. You don't have the cardio to do the award show. Man, you know, uh, it, it's something that, like, I just go out swinging, you know? I mean, first-round <laughs> knockout or nothing here. Oh, uh, no, Mike Spears so, story. <laughs> go out swinging, first-round first, first round knockout or nothing, the Mike Spears story. That, that's my second autobiography. The first one is Weird Things Happen to Me. Uh, Interesting. I, my autobiography title is Often Anxious, Always Sweaty. <laughs> there we go. I mean, this, my performance in these award shows made me kind of sweaty, to be quite <laughs> honest. <laughs> you didn't take a break at the towel. <laughs> Getting the hoodie off as we're talking. <laughs> so this King of Gate finals match, KZ versus Kota Minora, we really got to see that this, like, in, in a way that you were talking about that we got to see Kota Minora youth movement here. We really got to see, like, the first thing of him being, like, a true single start and player, youngest ever uh, King of Gate finalist, and just really, like, had a great chemistry of KZ Awesome strike exchange. It was basically elbow smash versus a forearm strike with it here. A lot of like really interesting neck work from Casey, which I thought was kind of fascinating as well. And like the crowd really bought into like the bevel gear flashman, the impact, and just like it, it, there was like a fireman's carry that he turned into a spider twist here, and it was just something that I thought was really kind of phenomenal. I thought Casey had a tremendous king of gate even though i thought of a match that he did not actually have <laughs> earlier on here so yeah king of gate kz versus kota Minora from june 3rd is my sixth match of the year my number six shun skywalker as we now get into his portion of the ballot shun skywalker versus kazuma sakamoto from memorial gate in wakiyama this was on march 27th did you have this listed this is my fifth match so let's talk about it 
Well, I am going to steal the talking point that Joe Lanza made, that this is a match that was so technically sound that it should be taught in wrestling schools. I, of course, notoriously, and I do not say this facetiously, was the first one to get aboard the Cosmo Sakamoto in Dragon Gate train. I greatly miss him. I thought he was a great asset to this promotion. And this was his absolute peak. This was him having a 20-minute singles match with the best wrestler in the company and him being there right along every single step of the way. A marvelous, stiff, physical, violent Dreamgate match. Yeah, and it was something that was kind of cool in this match to see Shun Skywalker not be the bigger guy. I mean, he's such a lanky guy, and he put on so much muscle. Like, it's kind of—he really, in a way, has become, like, a, a prominent figure physically in the company— but being able to see him kind of break out stuff against uh, Kazma, who's stockier, you know, I mean, he he's in a bulk orchestra. He has he has the bulk with him there. Uh, it, it just was like stuff like seeing him like doing like a second rope monkey flip where like making no sense for him to do that against KZ. He would instead do that to the floor and the, just like playing up the character that Shun Skywalker portrayed before Mexico in a way that I thought was really kind of like fascinating it just was such a smart match like doing like rolls throughs after the moonsault and just came off like as a tremendous performance and you know i thought this was a really phenomenal match and it's something that as we get to talk about like other categories here i think there's enough evidence here that i know that shun skywalker in some camps gets a bad rap for being you know just a very risky wrestler this match was like technically sound as you were putting up there that that was really phenomenal and you like take a look at his title run basically i i i'm not going to hide this all of his dreamgate matches that had an actual match this year ended up in my top 10 list like just an incredible year from the guy no i he's he was uh, we talked about the sfm 50 earlier he was my number three wrestler this year behind kenny omega and brian danielson so well done to shun skywalker so what was your number five match my number five, Shun Skywalker, this time against Yamato, August 1st, Speedstar Final, the Streamgate match. It, you know, Skywalker on a personal level, I, I've determined has a really special place in my heart because I've been reviewing this promotion for Voices of Wrestling for six years now. So I was a year into reviewing this when Skywalker and Ben K and Yoshioka and Hyo made their debuts. And Skywalker has always been my favorite wrestler of this bunch just because he's been so uh, ruthless and risk-taking and exciting in all of the different stages of his career. And even, you know, by 2019, my vision of what his peak would be would be maybe challenging Yamato for the Dreamgate belt at a dead or alive or a dangerous gate or realistically a champion gate in Osaka the fact that Shun took the leap that he did and stood in the ring with Yamato, the objective biggest star in the company, and looked on his level, if not better, in this match was a very cool thing to see for me, uh, someone in my position where I've watched this guy from day one grow, and I've covered him in Drangate from opening matches to the All Japan Junior Tag League to his hot streak in 2019, all the way to his Dreamgate match. This, in a weird way, this match just made it feel like all of the time I invest in this promotion is worth it to some degree, because I have now seen a young man come into his own and have a match like this. 
uh, like every other shoot match, I'll use the same adjectives. It was violent, it was physical, and in a weird way, it was absolutely technically proficient. So, uh, two things. One, this match is higher up. I'll give my thoughts when I when I get to it. And two, I, I, I find it fascinating that you mentioned Shun Skywalker in that light of when you started reviewing and following the promotion, because that's kind of how I got so attached to Kiritazawa, was where he was when I started watching Dragon Gate. So it, 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 it's really satisfying that this company does that in a way. And like SB Kento, like we were like how we've been talking about for the last hour. Or so seeing this guy progress in this way, it's like one of the best things about Dragon Gate is being you're able to see them be like, all right, this is someone we see something in. And it might not be immediately like SB Kento. It might take five years like Shin Skywalker, but it's always so rewarding to see that happen to someone. Look, when SP Kento wins the Dreamgate belt, and it is a win, not if, I will be popping champagne in my apartment. I might break edge for SP Kento when he wins that Dreamgate belt because it will be such a special moment for this podcast. I, I mean, th- that will actually be the laptop show. <laughs> what, 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 hold on, what is the laptop show? <laughs> oh, oh, how we were threatening to do the laptop microphone show about if Kai oh. won and Kai ended up winning. That, that, that would be the immediate. I, I don't know if there was like a camming thing that you no. wanted us to do that I had it. I was like, I, we could do a video show if you want. I didn't know that's something you were interested in, but I'm going to keep my clothes on. Uh, no, yes. <laughs> you do you, Mike, but uh, yes, no, we can, <laughs> we can certainly make something happen when SB Kento holds that Dreamgate belt above his head for the first time. Absolutely. So now we are moving into my top four. My fourth match on the my fourth best match of the year is from Speedstar Final. It is the Twin Gate match. It is Natural Vibes defending against Dragon Kid and Binkei. And it's just something like with this match and with like this, like you talked about the How and Kano match that was so really phenomenal with this. It's just something that you we got to see the great chemistry between Binkei and Shimizu. It's a real shame that we never got a Shimizu versus Binkei Dreamgate match, by the way, just as an aside. But it was like really neat to see that. And then you also got to see another generational kind of feud with like Susumi Yokosuka and Dragon Kid being revisited in a way. And it just was something that was just incredible stuff. Like there was an avalanche uh, Death Alley driver that was one of the most brutal things that I've seen that was just absolutely insane. Uh, Shimizu and and Ben K just like constantly uh, trying to one up each other in a big like power contest, and they worked this like a sprint, and then they started throwing bombs, and I thought that it was just absolutely phenomenal. Interesting, only because I liked the Natural Vibes versus Red match a little bit more, but with the way you s- sold this match, I am going to have to go back and rewatch it because I remember loving it. But you you put that in a new perspective for me, Mike. So well done. Hey, we got to see a world liner at Kobe World. Like, like that's like an automatic like credit towards that there. That's very uh, true. What was your fourth match? It was a man we were just talking about. It was SB Kento versus Jackie Funky Kame, or actually this was his last match as Funky Jackie Kame. The Open the Brave Gate match from, is that October 17th? I have November, but I don't think that's right. October 17th, correct. October 17th. Yeah, this is, I, I would say the most talked about Gate match of the year. Is that a fair assessment? Oh, I, I, I would say that that probably was, other than, you know, Yoshino's retirement, probably like one of the standout moments, positive moments, not like Kakuda sadly getting hurt, you <laughs> know? NK getting knocked out at the end of 2020. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. No, I, I totally agree with you. And I'll say this, this is my third match. Great. So this was my top three. So, yeah, no. Uh, so, so what about this match really sold it to you to make this into strongly up on your list? 
it's one of the best chop battles I've ever seen. And it came not between Kenta Kobashi and Kensuke Sasaki, two guys who you would expect to see a chop battle from. It came between two junior heavyweights who I knew this match was going to be special. I was excited about it going in and they still just crushed my expectations. Uh, I expected this to be three and three quarters, four stars. If we're lucky, it's in Kobe. That's a crowd that could go either way. But no, they stepped up to the plate here. They wrestled this match like it was the main event of the Tokyo Dome. And it it was just another one of those deals of like, oh my God, SB Kento. He really is. You know, I've compared him to Adam Cole because I, I think back to what Jay said on our podcast in July where he said, and he was sort of being facetious and he sort of wasn't, you know, if SB Kento was three inches taller, he'd have the dream gate by now. And I, I think the easy comp there is Adam Cole because Adam Cole is undoubtedly one of the biggest stars in pro wrestling. And you think, what if this guy was three inches taller? I mean, it would, it would be miraculous what he was, he would be able to accomplish, but SB Kento and MJF is another one of those deals where at the start of this year, we were talking about how great SB Kento is. This guy's such a star, but it's his in-ring work that is actually falling behind when it comes to his character and his match-to-match psychology and all of these other things he does. But just as the narrative uh, changed for MJF in 2021 of like, no, this guy can actually wrestle. He's really, really good in the ring. The way SB Kento closed his year, it's the same story. He is now an elite level wrestler when he gets the opportunity to do so. And this match was the first time where I really went, holy shit. SB Kento's on another level in the ring. He took a step up here when I wasn't expecting him to. Yeah, it it's something that uh, E3 Arose is at SB Kento. I'm going to defend my guy from the class, from that debut match. It, it was so great to see SB Kento in this role of like this dominant heel champion. And the ring work has completely come together in a way that it has been remarkable to see faster than anyone expected. But for me, this match was uh, Kamei's coming out party. This was something that you really got to see him step up to the plate and say, like, yeah, I'm not going to be remembered just as Kento's uh, uh, just dojo mate. I'm not going to be the guy who was on his bottom bunk while he was always on the top bunk. I'm not always going to be looking up at him because he really, like, put on, like, a great selling clinic. Like, there was an, the STF in here that was just incredible. Like, I rewatched this match with the full production that was up on YouTube, and it blew me away, like, just the way he facially sells and the timing he did for, like, an acid drop counter and then doing a tornado. And I'm like, all right, this guy who I thought might have some issues and might top out as just, like, a Brave Gate challenger, maybe a second and third in a tag team title match. He really had something here, and he really put it together here and really came together in a way that after, like, the injury and a little bit of a shaky start, like, getting to see, like, oh, this is why he is with natural vibes this is why he's like teams all the time with kz and with uh and being able to have ginky horiguchi there it, it just was phenomenal stuff it, it was really special it is the match that you know as much as we talk about 12 1 2016 i feel like that 10 17 uh 2021 will be like one of the matches for this class that we talk about just as just an incredible performance for both of them oh yeah this is a match that we'll remember for as long as we cover this promotion five years, 10 years from now, when we're looking back on the start of these guys' careers and whatever comes of the future class, you know, when we're doing their 10 year anniversary pods, this match will be in the forefront of our minds. This was a historic match in the moment. And I think it's legend will only grow as we go along. So what was your top three match? What, what got bronze for you this year? 
my bronze medal match, something that you talked about earlier, June 3rd of this year, KZ versus Coach Minora in the King of Gate Finals. I echo all of your sentiments. Just a phenomenal match when Coach Minora looked like the hottest wrestler on earth. Best man. And, and he's still under 25, too. He, I think he's only 23. Christ. Is that true? Is he really that young? Yeah, because he came in as like a teenager. Oh my god, I gotta look this up real quick. Coach Menorah was born in... Oh my god, he's born in 1998. Jesus Christ, he's the same age he as me. He just turned 23. He, was he just born, turned Yeah, he was born December 98. I was born February 99. He's the same age as me. Jesus Christ. I didn't realize he was that young. He carries himself like a 29, 30-year-old man. Man, El... Now you see why I, I got so much on my soapbox about how New Japan develops their talent. <laughs> Look, yeah, they haven't, they haven't busted out a Coach Menorah in quite some time. Well, they wouldn't have taken him. He's under 180 centimeters. Yeah, you almost think like that's a bad system or something. Yeah, it, it's almost like that's a completely counterproductive way to bring in talent. Uh, top two now. Uh, this is where I get to four and three quarters case. Just, okay, great. Just my denotation there. This is also from Speedstar Final. This is the Open of the Dreamgate title match. Yamato versus Shun Skywalker. Yamato winning, becoming the first ever five-time champion, the 33rd Open of the Dreamgate champion. And it's something where it's that they they started this off case as a Shun Skywalker match. Like, just like, pedal to the floor. We're just going to go for it. The, it I called in a review a Skywalker's destruction party. And seeing the fact that Yamato was willing just to play along with it and was totally game for it. And then you have someone that was just without a, a, a an off switch. And you had, then you have Yamato who was just able to persevere and get his way out of it with the Dojima sleeper so much here and just was eventually he just had too much uh, damage and we finally had someone kick out of the SSW and Yamato had to do two Galareas and then a Ragnarok there and it just felt like such a moment it was like all right he's putting the stamp on it this is his final this is like his big run this was like as the way he was saying like the that like he saw what Shingo was doing he saw what what Tazawa? Well, he said that he saw Tazawa as a superstar in WWE. Uh, I I think that's probably the the most generous way to describe what's going on with Tazawa in WWE here, and it just made me feel like at least at this time, like this was like going to be like the landmark run, like like case we were talking about all summer, like Yamato's like turning the time back and bringing back like 2009, 2010 Yamato, and he molded it into this match, and then we saw how things kind of p- played off from there, disappointingly, but he started off this ring with an absolute banger. Yeah, I loved it. It was the high point of Yamato's year and Yamato had a very good year. My number two match, as we also move into four and three quarter star territory for me, is a match you mentioned earlier, Shun Skywalker versus Kaito Ishida from champion gate in Osaka. I rewatched this this afternoon for a long time this year. It was my Dragon gate match of the year and by proxy, one of the five best matches I had seen this year. It is an incredible match. We talked a lot in 2020, and if you're a newer listener, you might not remember this, but we talked a lot in 2020, the first eight months of the year, about how we felt like Kaito Ishida, as a wrestler and an all-around act, had so clearly surpassed Ata, and Ata was the leader of this heel unit, and we were frustrated that Ishida wasn't getting more of a spotlight. He was the Bravegate champion at the time, 
but we wanted more for him. And a lot of that conversation quieted down once H won the Dreamgate belt. He did it in such a marvelous way. But Ashida had this incredible 2020. He was a great Bravegate champion. He made that belt his own. He had those matches with Akuda, and he was as consistently entertaining as any wrestler anywhere in 2020. He cooled down a little bit in the latter half of 2021, but this match right here in March was a very good reminder that he is someone who I think at some point in his career will hold the Dreamgate belt for a short period of time because he went into this match with Shun and he decimated his leg and it was violent and it was aggressive and it was everything that Ashida does well. He was almost a Kenta-esque, Kenta in his prime dickhead and he tore apart this guy's knee and Shun is more guts than brain and he fought through that pain. He fought on that knee and he eventually overcame Ashida. And it is as good as it gets. It is a long match. It takes a long time to get to a, a notable finishing stretch where they're trading big moves and doing these big counters. But when you get there after all the groundwork that they laid on their path to it, it is entirely worthwhile. It is such a satisfying match. It is one of the best matches I saw this year. And Ashida at some point will be a Dreamgate champion. Yeah, no, it, it's something that like I feel like, and sadly, I don't know if we would ever get this. He probably has a really interesting story to tell of his career and leading up to this point, you know, like this in a lot of ways, he was a guy that, you know, after his neck injury, we didn't know necessarily what to come from him. And he had this very special match in front of his hometown. He's a guy who has like the best matches of his career in front of his hometown, which is not uncommon in this promotion, but it's something that interestingly, like as we talked about Nagoya and if we talked about Tohoku region with like Yamato being from Awate and then the, the future kids all being from that area as well. We got to remember that he's from Osaka. And I think that that's, that'll be an interesting to see how much they lean on him with that in the future. So I guess this, this leaves us with our number one match of the year, Kiss. I have a feeling we have the same number one match. All right. We're not going to try to say this at three, but <laughs> my number one match of the year was from Kobe World Pro Wrestling Festival 2021. It was the Dreamgate match, Shun Skywalker versus KZ. Case, what was yours? From Kobe World Pro Wrestling Festival, G July 31st, 2021, Shun Skywalker versus KZ. It, it had to be this, right? Like, it, it had to be this match. I've had multiple people over the past month reach out to me. They're doing match of the year stuff. Uh, and they, they, you know, they've got their blind spots and they've asked me, what are the Dragon Gate matches I need to watch this year? And I send them a list of typically five matches. It's Skywalker versus KZ versus Ashida, KZ versus Minora, SB Kento versus JFK. And that fifth match, kind of depending on the person, I, I mix it up. Every single person without fail, this is not hyperbolic. Every single person I've sent this match to has commented after they watched it, some combination of oh my god that monkey flip when skywalker monkey flips kz off the apron to the floor it is one of the sickest bumps i have ever seen it's just phenomenal it's something that like in a way it's just like psychopath shit <laughs> for lack of better words like words lost for a second it's like it's just psychopath shit it's incredible it, it was just just like such a special match but like these are two guys that their style complements each other so well that both of them are willing to do the car crash 
kind of style for lack of better words of we're just gonna go full motion into each other and we got that and just like doing stuff like the bt bomb into the cdj and just like getting the emotion there like it felt like a moment for kz but you know he figured out a lot of people on the way to winning uh king of gate but he did not figure out shun skywalker and just the story of shun skywalker being like i've taken care of all these red guys now i need to look towards the past generation i've taken care of mine now let's look towards the past and you know taking out one of the more enduring endearing characters in dragon gate that was like phenomenal it just was one of those things that in a year where they didn't necessarily have the top line matches even though as i look at the at my list i i feel like i'm almost lying a little bit saying that four out of my 10 matches are Dreamgate matches, but all of them have Shun Skywalker in it. So maybe it's Shun Skywalker had the top line here. This felt like a Kobe World main event. It felt like one of the better Kobe World main events in recent memory. And it just was phenomenal. I mean, it's something that going back and rewatching each time, I'm like, this match happened and this match was insane. These two guys throughout their careers, there's been times where they've been wrestlers and have not even been considered as future main eventers, both Skywalker and KZ, there are points in their career where you could tell me, oh yeah, they'll main event Kobe World one day, and I would have laughed at you. It just would have seemed impossible. But even when both guys made that jump to being an upper mid-carder, a top-of-the-line player, a guy that could conceivably challenge for the Dreamgate title, there was that question that loomed over them of if their style, if their charisma if their presentation would transfer to the very top of the card, to the main event scene, and on the biggest stage, in the biggest match for the big belts, these guys knocked it out of the park in a match that I have seen universal praise for. Everybody that watched it is somewhere between four and a quarter or higher. It is, like you said, an all-time great Dreamgate match. It's their second bonafide classic at Kobe World uh, there's no, there's nothing else I need to say. It's Shun Skywalker versus KZ. Watch it if you haven't. And if you've watched it, go watch it again. Yeah. Uh, something that you said that resonated with me is two guys kind of, you know, making that jump. And it's something that this was an interesting topic in the VOW Discord about SPK, who should be his next challenger. And Alan Forel brought up KZ here. And like the idea of, is it, something that for KZ, this would be like too much him losing to SB Kento. Like, was this like the last major trophy for SBK? And it made me think about, this is a guy who up until 2017 was pretty much counted out. Like he was a lost boss. He was a jobber. He had that brave gate run, but that was really it for him. And the fact that he made this jump up to being at Kobe world, winning King of gate, even the fashion that he won King of gate, winning King of gate, and being there whereas you look at shun skywalker you look at the, the rest of the class of 2016 like yeah ben k was there first because it had to be ben k he's older he has the physique they protected him it was going to be ben k but after that probably thought that you would see yoshioka Oka there first wouldn't you yuki yoshioka yes yeah he he was the more conventional of the picks and yet it is skywalker who's there yeah just was an incredible match. So do you want to run through your top 10 again, just so that we have it officially? I'll run through mine since I completely botched it. As no, well. that's a, that's okay. Let me run through mine here real quick. Number 10, Jason Lee versus KZ from May 21st. Number nine, BB Hulk and Kai versus Jason Lee and Coach Minora from January 12th. Number eight, 
King Shimizu and Susumi Yokosuka versus Hao and Kano from November 3rd. Number seven, Yamato versus Coach Minora from September 20th. Number six, Shun Skywalker versus Kazuma Sakamoto from, uh, from March 27th. Number five, Shun Skywalker versus Yamato from August 1st. Number four, SB Kento versus Jackie Funky Kamei from October 17th. Number three, KZ versus Coach Minora from June 3rd. Number two, Shun Skywalker versus Kaito Ishida from March 7th. And number one, my match of the year in Dragon Gate this year, Shun Skywalker versus KZ, July 31st, Kobe World Pro Wrestling Festival. All right, so my top 10. Number 10 was Naruki Doi Masato Yoshino versus Eita and BB Hulk at Speedstar Final on August 1st. My number 9 was for the Twin Gate, Hulk and Kai versus Jason Lee and Kota Minora from January 12th. Number 8 was Yamato versus Shun Skywalker that was released on May 14th during King of Gate. Number 7 was uh, Skywalker versus Ishida March 7th. Number 6 was KZ versus Kota Minora from June 3rd, King of Gate Finals. Match 5 was uh, Skywalker versus Kazma from Memorial Gate. Match 4 was uh, Yokosuka and Shimizu versus Dragon Kid and Binke from Speedstar Final. Match 3 was SB Kento versus JFK from Kobe Sambu Hall. Match 2 was Shun Skywalker versus, Mano- versus Yamato from Speedstar Final. And then Match 1, like yours, was Shun Skywalker versus KZ from Kobe World Pro Wrestling Festival 2021 from July 31st. So let's go through our other award categories. Uh, first off, I feel like that we should get this one out of the way because I feel like we both have the same answer here. MVP, uh, my MVP case, of course, had to be Shun Skywalker, and my runner-up was KZ. My MVP, Shun Skywalker, my runner-up, Kota Minora. All right. Uh, I like that. That's bold. That's bold. Like, I was very close to being SB Kento as my second place <laughs> of my runner-up here. So, uh, KZ, just for, like, the the year he had and just, like, may have been in Kobe world, uh, Natural Vibes going from a really awkward thing to being a really solid, like, just, like, in the fabric of the promotion. And it just made sense to me. Like, KZ was having fantastic matches with nearly everyone on the roster all year. Could have been an or KSI. I have a feeling I know your argument for him as runner-up, but I'd like to hear it. Well, this was a year where he dominated every facet of the game. He had a great tag team with Jason Lee. We talked about that. One of their matches made my top 10. He beat BB Hulk. He beat Diamante. He beat Eita. He beat Masaki Mochizuki. He beat Yamato. He ended up in a roundabout way beating Shun Skywalker at the end of the year. This guy had great singles matches consistently in the mix for a match of the night on any show he was on. And he ended the year doing, like we talked about last week, the most compelling story in wrestling with him and Skywalker and the rest of Masquerade. He is a huge part of that, and he has been great in his role so far. So for me, this was this was a year when Coach Minora is a three-time Dreamgate champion and the biggest star of the promotion outside of SB Kento. This is a year we're going to look back on very fondly to see him really take his game to the next level. No, I, I totally agree with you on that. Uh Let's do Rookie of the Year uh, next, case. Uh, who was your Rookie of the Year and your runner-up? I struggled with this award because with six rookies and La Estrella to some degree, there was a lot of directions that I could go, but I kept it simple. My Rookie of the Year, Ricky Ihashi, and my runner-up, Ishin Ihashi. I like that. I like that. I went a little complicated for me. Uh, I went with uh, Takuma Fujiwara as Rookie of the Year. 
and I think my runner-up was La Estrella. I mean, as as much as much criticism as I throw towards La Estrella when La Estrella is on, he is phenomenal. But I think Takuma Fujiwara really has shown in his short time that he is the pick of the class of twenty twenty one. It's the the one eighty that people have done, and rightfully so, on Fujiwara from his debut, where again it was fine but unspectacular. To now again in a month of work winning your rookie of the year really says something about just the rapid elevation that he's seen. I went with the Ahashis. I think Ricky is a future star. I've talked about his charisma. I think it's something that will resonate on a generico Shima, dare I say Liger-esque level. I think he has that sort of charisma in him. Ishinihashi is a bull in a china shop, but I enjoy watching him every time I see him. Yeah, he's he's going to eventually have a heel run. That's going to be awesome. Yeah, like, like he he's going to be a monster there. Uh, this is a new category that you proposed for us this year. Biggest stock up and stock down. Do you want to explain this a little bit? Yeah, uh, you know, we entered the year. Let's go to January twenty twenty one. Guys that were on the roster that a year later have really impressed us, uh, have really revitalized their game in a way. And guys that might have had a monster 2020 that had a disappointing 2021. It's stock up, stock down. And for me, my stock up, biggest stock up of the year goes to Hyo. And my runner up is Jackie Funky Kamei. So Jackie Funky Kamei ran away with this award for me. I mean, really, the last few months has solidified that as the person that if we did breakout star of next year, I feel like that's it for him. Uh, number two, and I know this is this is going to sound like a very safe choice is Kota Minora. I mean, we, we saw where he really was in July of 2020 and we saw where he was now, but I mean, the, the, the guy had a Dreamgate match at 22 at a big five show. <laughs> well, like how can't you say that that's a massive sock up there? I look, I certainly have no arguments there. That's that's I, I, I'm not surprised at any of Minora's success. And that's why I kept him out of this category. Whereas with both Hyo and Kamei, I am surprised at just how good of the years they had. Hyo is someone who you go back to the end of 2019 and he was still working dark matches on televised shows. He was a lost post in Mochizuki Dojo, the lowest ranked guy in what was practically a rookie unit. And in 2020, we saw him turn heel and become this fun character. You know, a guy that we like seeing because we both really like him. And it was cool to see him get involved in some bigger picture things. And in 2021, uh, you know, in a shocking way, he has become an integral part of the day in and day out of this promotion in a way that I just never would have imagined. Yeah, it's something that, like, with with him, uh, just really to kind of discovering himself and Hokkaido being the big brain was kind of phenomenal, right? Like, he would have just kind of been in that role until he discovered himself in that way. Yeah, this is... You know, you and I, I, I think this podcast has really represented Hio well throughout his career. We've always liked the raw skills that he's brought to the table but even you know 2019 2020 i had largely given up on him being anything other than a fun guy to have around but not a consequential player by any means and this year we saw him take a step up in terms of his promo ability that gets raved about by everybody that speaks the language and as a wrestler i thought he had a very very nice in-ring year as for kamei i love him i expected him to be good i didn't expect him to be this good this fast yeah, no, it's something that w- with him is just like it, it. The transition to being member of Natural Vibes wasn't necessarily the smoothest, but the way he came on in the fall, just like runaway winner for me. Stock down. Uh, mine 
you might say I'm being cheap with this, but given where they were and how kind of things turned out here, it's kind of hard for me not to note them here. Uh, my biggest stop down is Hip Hop Kakuda, just because like we haven't seen anything or heard anything from him since he got hurt and got surgery. And then along the same lines, the runner-up is Strong Machine J, of which I don't know what you do with him at this point. So those are my two there. Strong Machine J is a very fair uh, addition to this list. I, I had not considered him because he was hurt for so much of the year, but that is a very good point for me. It was two guys in the same unit. It was Kaisuke Akuda and it was Ben K. I thought Akuda was one of the best wrestlers in the world in 2020. Uh, the feud with Kaito Ishida was remarkable. My feud of the year, your feud of the year, the runaway feud of the year in the Dragon Gate universe. This year, I, I didn't think he brought a lot to the table. Now, his Brave Gate reign was booked in a very weird fashion. I think there are guys on this roster that could have been handed the names he was dealt and could have turned it into gold. And I don't think Akuda did that. And as the year progressed, he got bogged down by injuries and in MMA. And by the end of the year, the luster that was there with him in 2019 and 2020 was gone and by proxy there's ben k and i i think with english-speaking fans there's a lot of ben k panic there's always people wondering why he's not in bigger matches and i i I don't necessarily believe in that ideology but he is a guy that from time to time i worry about and when i think about 2021 there is no specific ben k moment that comes to mind and to me he is a level of star where i need to be able to think of a ben k moment at the snap of a fingers and i just i couldn't do that yeah, it, it, it's something that like we've talked about Okuda and kind of like his uh, less than glorious uh, fall, you know, losing two matches in MMA in a very drastic fashion. And then also, you know, just that Brave Gate run. But Benke, it, it's one of those things that I think that, and, and I was guilty of it. 2019, when he won the Dreamgate from Pack, it felt like, oh, wow. This felt like he was the guy. And then, you know, the the thing about this company is that the the belt and being the guy in the company, all your flaws will eventually come out. And we got to see them in full display. He kind of got it back in 2020 and then 2021, a lot like after he lost the belt in to uh, Nuruki Doi, then in 2019, he kind of just like disappeared and he never really appeared back. So I think they're justified that, with that as well. On my list, the next one I had was best unit. My I my top unit of the year was Masquerade. Just, I mean, a unit that came together and said that it's probably going to be done in 2022, but just was a really special unit. Got five guys who complement each other very well. And then my surprise case was I had natural vibes as my runner-up. I had the same order. I completely agree with you. I, you know, Masquerade speaks for themselves. I think they're one of the best units of all time. They're in-ring all year was top notch and they ended the year with this incredibly compelling story. Natural vibes 2.0 took a while to get going. Of course they formed with a bunch of injuries surrounding this unit, but by the time we exited Kobe world and speed star final, the last quarter of the year, we saw the value of this unit. We saw everybody fall into their role perfectly. And on a show to show basis, they continue to hit high mark after high mark. Yeah, it is something that, you know, it, it, it was very kind of awkward put together, but it's very clear now why they exist. And I think that that's one of those really special things. I'm, I'm jumping down on my list because I want to leave predictions for last. Most improved. 
I feel like we need to rename this award in the future case. <laughs> but who are your most improved wrestlers of 2021? Uh, it was number one, Diamante. Number two, SB Kento. Those were mine as well. <laughs> really? Wow, yes. I, I actually was hesitating putting SB Kento there, but I was like, no. I, I went back after watching the matches. They was like, no, it has to be SB Kento. Like, the, the kid's insane. The kid's insane. And I think in the future, it is the Diamante Most Improved Wrestler Award because, holy crap, what a year he had. And I hope he is back in 2022. Yeah, I, you know, I have exhausted myself throughout the past calendar year of giving Diamante compliments and trying to find new ways to talk about him doing the same damn great job on every single show. And I'm, I'm, I'm out of words. I, at this point, I think he's one of the best wrestlers in the world. And that is incredible given the product that we saw in 2019 when he first came into the promotion. As for SB Kento, he entered the year great. He finished the year somehow even greater. I, this kid's unbelievable. Yeah, uh, it's going to be such a fun thing to see where these two go next year. Do you want to do a small show or big or big show first? Let's do small show. All right. So this is a category that we explained last year, but it is basically not major shows. The idea of like the monthly shows, you're not going to get your Kobe Worlds on this list. Uh, what were your best small shows of the year? My best small show of the year was the July 9th Cork and Hall show. And my runner-up was the December 26th Kobe Sambo Hall show, Kobe Sambo Hall show, with an asterisk being that the 514 King of Gate Empty Arena show was probably my number one. But again, I would rather just not think about Empty Arena wrestling. So that Kobe Sambo Hall show was my best small show of the year. Just was a tremendous show. Great way to end out the year. My runner-up was the uh, was the October seventh Corkin. The one with the all-out war, because that was such a cool vibe on that show. Just was a really fun show. And the other matches on that show were solid as well. Yes, I, I very seriously considered the October Cork and Hall show as the one to list here, but I went with the July show instead. That July show opened with a BB Hulk, Kaito Ishida, and Cosmo Sakamoto versus uh, JFK, King Shimizu, and UT Six-Man that I gave three and a half stars. There was a four-star Masaki Mochizuki versus Kota Minora match on that show. There was a really fun R.E.D. versus Masquerade match, which led to an Agon Iso appearance. The final Masato Yoshino match in Corken Hall, which was absolutely terrific. The, the no-rope lumberjack match between Yamato and Kai that I loved. Yeah, that was my number three on my list. Just was like, for Corkins being not as heavy as they once were they ended up having some really fun ones uh best shows of the year my runner-up was dangerous gate and my show of the year was speed star final when i was going through this list case i had four uh four stars or better matches at speed star final so it had to be that one yeah i went i went kobe world as my show of the year and speed star final at number two that was far and away the best weekend this promotion had this year yeah it's just i i i, I said this in my review and now with like almost five months of hindsight. I think that I, I sent this review that I thought that absolute, absolute from 2002, which should be up on the network within the next year, which is great that, and I thought that it was replaced by speed star final. I still think it is like, just like the moments there. And then the way that the Yoshino retirement match touched me in that way just was phenomenal. I mean, you, you closed the show, at least for me with a four and a half star, uh, twin gate match, a four and three quarter stars dream gate match. And then Masato Yoshino's retirement. It's kind of hard not to have that be my show of the year. 
Oh, it was it was absolutely tremendous. It was a really, really fun weekend of wrestling that I will forever look back very fondly on. And to close out the awards and to close out this episode of Open the Voice Gate, our 2022 predictions. And I'm intrigued by yours, Case. So uh, let's just get at it. Uh, what is one of your predictions for next year? Well, I'm going to give you both of mine, Mike, because they tie into one another. Very bold predictions. I'm a very bold man, Mike Spears. You know that very well. My first prediction of 2022 is that the Dead or Alive cage match in Aichi, Japan will be Shun Skywalker versus Coach Minora versus the man formerly known as Dragon Daya versus Jason Lee versus La Estrella versus Yuki Yoshioka. And Yuki Yoshioka will lose his hair in that match. And that will somehow play out into a Kobe World Pro Wrestling Festival main event. 2022, Shun Skywalker versus Kota Minora. Okay, that's spicy. Yuki Oshioka shaving his head. He has a good head of hair, Case. Why would you wish that upon him? He didn't. He, he lost his mask, but he didn't lose his mask in the right way. And this is the way that Dragon Daya is going to finally put that feud to bed by costing him his hair. Those are going to be the last two guys in the cage. Dragon Daya, a handsome man without the mask on. I don't know if he'd be a handsome man bald. And he is going to outlast Yoshioka and shave the former Daya Inferno's hair off. I like that a lot. Uh, so I do have Dragon Daya involved in one of my predictions. I think Naruki Doi, when he starts up his new hot boy unit, he's going to find a new tag team partner. You know who's going to be his next great tag team partner? Like we've talked about uh Masato Yoshino and Naruki Doi will be forever etched in these in granite about being Dragon Gate's like most famous tag team. And then there, there are people, and I'm one of them, that I think that Naruki Doi and Yamato had better matches together than uh than him than Doi and Speedstar. But his next great tag team will be with Dragon Daya. And I think we're gonna get a big twin gate run of those two this year. That would be sick as hell. I would really like to see that. It, it just made sense, like, those two guys, like, styles, and, like, the idea that, yeah, you would think that, like, it's not one-to-one, Yoshino and Daya, but I feel like the, I feel like that it's not exactly plug-and-play, but I think they complement each other very, very well. Yeah. So, my, my other uh, prediction, and this is my Kobe World main event, and I need to do a little bit of, of backstory here. I think someone's going to go on the Royal Road this year. I think we're going to get a Royal Road this year, which is you end up getting the turned on in the cage, and then you win King of Gate, and then you win Kobe World. You know who I think is going to have that happen to them? Who's that, Mike? Ata. I think. Oh. I think Ata's going to get his moment in front of the crowds. He's we've we've talked about in recent shows about how popular of a star is. He's going to get his big face turn and his big face run this year. And you know who I think he's who he's going to be facing for the Dreamgate at Kobe World? And you know who I think will be walking to Kobe World as Open the Dreamgate champion? Is it Kai? S.B. Kento. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Okay, well, I- imagine oh. the stakes I just put out there and, and the pieces that need to be moved to have that happen. I think S.B. Kento will win the Dreamgate at Dead or Alive in front of his hometown crowd. Oh boy, that is a prediction that I I would like to see come true. Now, I have been on record. I pencil in 2023 as the year that SB Kento wins the Dreamgate belt, but look, if it happens in May of 2022, I'm not going to complain. I'm done doubting this kid. 
Yeah. I, 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 I'm done at this point. He makes me actually angry how good he is. Like, he, he has broken any sort of scale. And I think 2022, yeah, he'll, he'll lose the Brave Gate, but I think he's going to defeat Kai in front of his hometown crowd, and then he's going to have to go up against the guy that got him into R.E.D., the guy recently turning face. And then it's going to be Ata. We're going to overdrive the Mirage. It's going to be fantastic. I think Minora is going to take the belt from Kai, and Minora is going to enter and leave Kobe World as Dreamgate champion. Oh, <laughs> oh, Shun. Oh, Shun. Oh, poor guy. You, you escape the cage and you're going to Kobe World, but you're not winning the title there. Well, I hope either of those predictions come true, because that could, that could mean we're in store for a very, very fun year. Yeah, this is going to be a whole lot of fun. Well, Case, I feel like that. I say this was a compliment sandwich show for me. You know, I came out swinging. I got gassed out, but I got it back towards the end. But we'll we'll be back next week. Uh, that they, they just they did not announce a card yet for the upcoming uh, open the new year gate show. They're they're starting uh, Kness's uh, final tour. They're calling it the final burst out Kness Forever tour at at uh, KBS Hall in Kyoto on the eighth. They've announced rosters here. They do not have a full card, but we'll be back next week to talk about it. I'm looking forward to it. So you can follow the show at Open VoiceGate. You could follow Case at Nurse in your case. You can get mad at me for what I said about how bad New Japan is at preparing for the future at Fujiheya. That's going to do it for this week's Open the VoiceGate. We'll catch you next time. Take care.